1: Hello, welcome to the show. This is Writer's Routine. This week, we're talking to Will Dean about his brand new novel, The Last Thing to Burn. We talk about his idyllic writing space and the kind of frantic burst of energy that he uses that overcomes him when he gets his words down. Also, we chat about how he gets to know his plot and character by mulling it over and then brooding on it. And you can hear about how he uses notes... To make sure that he's he's always moving forward never looking back
2: just a few bullet points of what happens in the next scene it might be a clip of dialogue it might be a, a location it might be um, a little plot point and that gives me some confidence that when i sit down that afternoon or the next morning i know where i'm going into because i never read back i never go back and read the chapter i did before that works great for a lot of writers It would terrify me to do that. I don't want to go back. I just need the momentum to go forward.
1: There is more on the way with Will Dean in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. This is the show where we take an inside look at the working day of some of the most successful authors Uh, My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for for finding us, for listening, for subscribing, for for downloading, for streaming, however you found us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Now, with successful authors, uh, we've delivered on that recently, if I do say so myself. I bought Kate Moss the other week, the brilliant C.K. McDonnell, Last Time Out, and and this week, Will Dean. Uh, His new novel, The Standalone, The Last Thing to Burn, is uh, everywhere at the moment, isn't it? Uh, and I can't really go into bookshops, well, not where I am in the UK, can't really go into bookshops, but if I were walking into a Waterstones, I imagine this would be front and centre, and it deserves its place there as well. You know those books that you hear about, that just, they have this buzz. this bu- I don't know where the buzz comes from, but there is a buzz somewhere. It's amazing how it, it generates heat. I mean, I recorded an interview with um, Abigail Dean, actually, Will's namesake, uh, for her new book, Girl A?, Uh, It's got a similar kind of buzz, a similar heat that's building up around it. Uh, Subscribe to get that episode in the next few weeks. Uh, Now, this one, The Last Thing to Burn, uh, it's all about a person that we know as Jane. She is trapped in a home surrounded by space in the middle of the UK, and she is desperate to get free. Now, we talked to Will about... Writing this hidden away in the Scandinavian wilderness in a home which he built. Also, you can hear why he's kind of like a zombie when he's in the middle of writing and why when he had the idea, it took him a while to get it finally done because he was working on his Tuva Muderson series at the same time. Uh, You can also hear about how the idea came to him suddenly. Uh, in a burst of creativity one night, and how he frantically got the story down. Now, before we get into it, just a quick flag, uh, audio-wise. Now, due to very boring technological reasons, uh, I sound like a little bit more phone call-y than normal. You'll still get my lovely mellifluence, thank you very much. Just not like the normal mic quality. But I mean, you know, Will certainly makes up for it with his fantastic run through the day. So let's get to it with Will Dean and what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write.
2: I write in two places. I write in like a shack. Um, I live in in the forest in Sweden, kind of off grid. So we live in a number of different wooden shacks. So in the main writing room where I write my first drafts, that's a little spare bedroom. I don't see anything. I have the blinds pulled. And when I write a first draft, I have earplugs in complete kind of sensory deprivation and then when i do some editing and do uh the kind of the hard work which is what it is for me the all the work after that first draft is done in a shack at the end of the clearing in the forest so it's very quiet
1: now this might not be uh, an answer that's new to some people who listen to the show some people that know your know you well but we um, might as well cover it. What business have you, in the middle of nowhere in Sweden, living off the grid, wh- where did that decision come from?
2: <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I'm a country boy. I was brought up in the East Midlands in the middle of nowhere, not quite as wild as this. And I always liked nature, and I always liked stories. That was the two things that kind of uh, kept me going and comforted me as a, as a shy kid, bookish kid. And then I le- moved to London when I was 18 to go to university, stayed there for 15 years but I was always craving nature and silence. And, you know, in London, we could only afford a tiny one bedroom flat with no garden or anything like that. So when my wife and I kind of had the chat about what, you know, how we are going to change our life? Sweden came up because she's Swedish, but she's a city person. And then I said, you know, why don't we live in the woods? It's extremely low cost. It's very, uh, quiet and peaceful and living off-grid is a lot easier these days than it was 100 years ago because you got you know mobile broadband if you need it and you've got a four-wheel drive truck and it's just kind of not as difficult as it used to be so we've been here now full-time for nearly nine years
1: I guess what do you define as off-grid I don't know we grow a lot of our own food we have our own well
2: that's where we get our water from um, we use our own firewood you know our own I, I spend a lot of my time hauling chopping stacking felling trees and organizing the wood because that's how we heat our house and cook so we're fairly off grid not like alaska style off grid but we're quite off grid it's a long way to the nearest town and it's kind of off road most of the way
1: now this is unrelated to writing, but I'm just curious for myself, if I move house, Will, um, or, or I stay away for a couple of nights and I wake up in a different bed, I'm slightly surprised and it takes me a while to get my bearings. Um, how long did it take you to get your bearings from living in bi- in busy city life to then living in the middle of nowhere?
2: Not that long, really. Because uh, it, it took me years to build this place. I kind of did a lot of the work myself, so it took me years of flying over and building and working on the carpentry and everything. So by the time it was finished, it wasn't a quick job. By the time it was finished, uh kind of 2012, when we moved in, I'd spent a lot of time here, and it was a lot more comfortable by then because the first years there was no toilet. You know, I had to go to a little shack 100 meters away in the in the deep depths of the woods when it's minus 25 in winter to go to the toilet. Now, you know, we have like normal facilities, so it's. It didn't feel that weird. It felt quite uh, relatively civilised. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's a nice place to live. I like living in Sweden.
1: There's a lot of talk at the moment with uh, how many, how much chance there is for us to, you know, be staring at screens all day and be on social media. And and some say it's kind of all too much. When you're there and you're living this quite rustic life, you know, chopping firewood, doing manual labor around how does that that connection with you and the world how does that affect the way that you feel and think do you think that's quite a deep question but I'm curious
2: I mean that's a good question I guess part of the reason I live here is because I like some distance from the rest of the world sometimes so you know I love traveling in normal years to meet readers and do festivals and events and book fairs love that but my my base kind of status the the place where I'm happy is being here fairly cut off from things so I have some some space and some time to think and to work on ideas and to uh, read and to listen to audiobooks and that's something I do when I'm chopping wood so you know the social media part of it I enjoy it if I didn't enjoy it I wouldn't do it um, at all but I do enjoy it and maybe that's because I'm so far away from other people it's quite nice to have a connection to my fellow writers and that kind of thing so I don't know. At times, I like to feel very distant from publishing, from even from bookshops, from from that whole world. And I just want to focus on my individual story, just zoom in on what I'm working on. And at other times, I like to feel more connected. So here, I kind of feel like I have the, the choice.
1: Now, take me to the place where you write your first draft. I know you're hunkering down. You're almost in sensory deprivation, you mentioned. But what have you got around you that that inspires you maybe, maybe maybe stuff that's kind of plot orientated as well post-it notes describe to me what's around you
2: so it's a it's a spare bedroom it's a bit of a mess it's full of pens and post-it notes and scraps of paper it's got an old laptop in it on an ikea desk the old laptop is i think it's like 11 years old i bought it in london before i moved out here and cost like 180 pounds it's an old compact doesn't really work anymore that well in terms of it doesn't connect to the internet. It gives me small electric shocks, which are quite, are quite, it's quite good. It keeps me going. And, um, and I have something on the wall, like a few posters or a map sometimes that relates to whatever I'm writing, that first draft. But basically, I'm trying to kind of cocoon myself. I'm pulling the blinds down, and I'm just trying to create some sense of distance from the rest of The house and the rest of the world so that I can get deep into my own imagination in a kind of a childish way in uh, in a sense so that I can really immerse myself in that world and get into that story.
1: Listeners on the show are very interested in uh, software and font. Now you're writing on quite an old compact you mentioned but still what are you writing on? Is it Word? Is it any other writing software? And what are your typeface opinions Will?
2: So, see i i'm I might not please your readers here, your listeners here, because I don't really care like I just use my old compact, I think it's word two thousand and seven or two thousand and ten or something like that. It's very basic, no scrivener, and I like that laptop doesn't connect to the internet, so I'm just using word and pieces of printer paper that I've written all my notes on for the scene that I'm about to write in terms of font, I write in to- times. Uh, whatever it's called, Roman numeral, times numeral, whatever that the the, kind of the standard one that a lot of people write in. Um, And 12-point double-spaced, so it's kind of ready to to edit myself. Um, But I don't fetishize all those little bits and pieces about writing. Like, I don't even put many quotes or chapter um, titles or anything like that. I just, my chapters are one, two, three, four, five, blah, blah, blah um i like a blank screen a blank piece of paper on the screen as in as an old version of word no distractions and i just want to get into that story so i don't really consider any of the other stuff of any relevance you know every writer has to find their own way and their own process and what works for them and i think you know i've got plenty of writer friends who do spend a lot of time and energy and they have a lot of love for certain fonts and certain ways of of displaying things on screen. And I think that's fantastic for them. You know, everybody's just got to be confident to do it their own way. Uh, It's like some writers like to have word counts and some don't. It doesn't really matter how you do it. It's whatever works best for you. So personally, I like a blank screen, blank uh, word doc. And I just get the words out of me. For me, the the kind of the, the magic is all about trying to get that idea from my head and transfer it down through my fingertips into the keyboard without it losing too much of its essence and without it losing too much of its clarity and its power. That is, for me, what writing is really all about. What I do is I visualize a story for months and months and months before I start writing the first draft. So when I start day one of the first draft, I pretty much know or have a sense of the mood and the landscape and the characters in my story, but I haven't written any notes by that point. So I don't write notes then beforehand. And then when I start writing that first draft, you know, I'll do that first session of, of writing in a morning, write the first chapter, and then I'll write on a piece of printer paper with a black kind of Sharpie, a few bullet points of what happens in the next scene. So that's all that's there. Just a few bullet points of what happens in the next scene. It might be a clip of dialogue, It might be a a location. It might be um, a little plot point. And that gives me some confidence that when I sit down that afternoon or the next morning, I know where I'm going into because I never read back. I never go back and read the chapter I did before. That works great for a lot of writers. It would terrify me to do that. I don't want to go back. I just need the momentum to go forwards. So those notes wouldn't be that helpful to anyone else.
1: When you were first starting, Will, were you going back?
2: No, I wasn't actually, but it was... um, I wrote a book that is now locked in a drawer before I wrote Dark Pines, my debut. And that book, uh, I took a long time with it, and it just was never going to be a good book. And I think it's partly because I hadn't done that visualization stage before writing the first draft. And that's something that's really important to me. And I understand that better now. Um, But no, I've never really been a note taker or a meticulous plotter or planner. I just kind of, I need all the imagery in my head. That's what gives me the confidence.
1: What are you terrified about then? You mentioned that you were, that looking back would scare you. What is it that you don't want to know?
2: It's not that I, I don't know. It's not that I don't want to know something. It's that I'm constantly afraid that I'm not going to finish the story or that I'm not going to get to the essential truth of the story or that I'm going to go on off on a wild tangent. So before I start a first draft, I always have this buzz, this high, this excitement that I'm going to write a story. I'm going to tell myself a story for the first time. But the flip side of that is I'm terrified that it's not going to work. And I won't do justice to my characters. So that's really what drives me. And I, for me, momentum is extremely important. I want my stories to have energy. And that comes from me writing the first draft very, very quickly and it comes from not looking back, just looking forwards, getting to that point where I finished the story. And then I know I've got something that I can work on for months or years afterwards.
1: So you're writing a first draft very quickly. How quickly is very quickly?
2: So my last book that came out last week, The Last Thing to Burn, I wrote that in three weeks, the first draft. So it's quite an unhealthy <laughs> kind of process. Um, and that book, I probably spent six months since I had the idea, I, I had the idea one night and I spent six months researching and thinking and daydreaming and kind of imagining. And then I wrote the first draft in three weeks. And then it took me like four years after that to uh, to edit it and re- rework it and uh, tinker with the language and that kind of thing.
1: What are you waiting for there, Will? So when you've got this idea, and I know you're doing bits and pieces of research along the way and you're clarifying things in your mind for, I mean, you said... Four, four odd months, what are you waiting for before you sit down and then crack it all out in three weeks? What do you need to know? What does this vision need to be before you start?
2: That's a good question. I don't really know. It's difficult to to put into words. It's more that I, I carve out a month in my calendar where I'm not going to do any publicity, any work, any as in any traveling to do events or anything like that. So it's a month where I'm going to just be in this room every single day, seven days a week for a month. And I know that that month is approaching, you know, during those four to six months, I know that that's coming. And I do more and more visualizing, more and more research, more and more thinking, more and more reading around it, watching movies around it, just kind of immersing myself in some of the aspects of that story. And then it crystallizes, you know, better and better in my mind. So I start to see my characters. I start to understand their backstory, their motivations. I start to understand some of the key scenes in the novel and how they're going to work out. So there is that momentum in that sense as well. I'm getting more and more excited about it. And then I I know roughly when I'm going to start, give or take 10 days, but the actual day when I decide to sit down and start writing, it's just a feeling I get like I'm ready. It's like it's bursting out of me at that point. I need to sit down and get this story out.
1: Well, let's talk about those four weeks then you've kind of hinted on this earlier on with your morning and afternoon sessions but in some detail, if you can, Will, take us through your writing routine the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed um, during those four weeks of the first draft. How does it look? OK,
2: so disclaimer, first of all, I'm not recommending this to anyone. It's not
1: it's not a good idea. <laughs> but
2: so I, I wake up and I kind of start thinking about the scene that I'm about to write uh, in bed. And I have a shower. I'm thinking about that scene. I'm, I have breakfast. I take my kid to school. I'm thinking about that scene. So I do the things that I need to do in the morning to be kind of a good dad, a good husband. But at the same time, I'm not mentally present at all. I'm a I'm a zombie. And then I'll get home and kind of make myself a cup of tea, go up to my this spare room, close the doors, earplugs in, blinds pulled, open the laptop have a quick look at those very brief notes, those bullet points, and then I'll just dive straight in. And I'll write for about two hours. So I write a chapter. I don't have any kind of word count goals. I just have a chapter, a scene. I write a scene in the morning. And then when that's done, I'll go and have lunch. I'll go walk my St. Bernard. I'll do all the things I need to do. But I'm constantly thinking about the following scene. Then in the afternoon around 1 o'clock, I will write that next scene. And I'm still in that main character's head. I'm still very much in that imaginary world. Finish that writing session, again, another two hours. And I will go and pick my kid up, have dinner with my family. And then I'm thinking about the, the following days writing constantly. Just like It's tempting not to do that. It's tempting to go and watch TV or something sometimes, but I don't do that. I just constantly stay in that fictional world. And then I go to bed and I love that moment when you're drifting off to sleep. Then often something will come to me, some kind of idea or a little clarification I go to sleep thinking about it I wake up I'm still thinking about it so it's very very intense and very very exhausting at the end of those 3 or 4 weeks I'm shattered
1: so you're writing for 4 hours a day I know you don't do it by word count it's by scenes but just as a ballpark figure how much how many words are you getting done in a day I mean I don't know I don't even look
2: um probably I don't know, 4,000, 5,000, something like that. It depends. It varies a little bit with chapter length. And sometimes I'll write three chapters in a day. But um, I guess I normally do about 20,000 words a week, 25,000 words a week, something like that.
1: And when it's over in the day and you say that you're still all consumed by your characters, and you're not watching the telly. Kind of, what are you doing? Like, are you just sitting there, chilling, like in, in your own dark space, meditating, ruminating over these things?
2: <laughs> that sounds a bit more highbrow than what I do. No, it's like often it's driving. I think driving is great, and I have to do a lot of it here to get anywhere in Sweden. It's, the distances are quite vast, so driving. I love that because you're, you know, you're you're using one part of your mind to drive, but then the kind of the whole back end of your brain can be used for just thinking through the next scene. And often I'll articulate things out loud so i'll start i talk to myself essentially in the car and then the same when i'm in the forest and i'm work chopping some wood or i'm walking my dog i'll be thinking about something that's coming up or i will be again talking out loud and thankfully i don't have any neighbors who can overhear that because that
1: would look quite strange <laughs> so those are, that's during your your four weeks of it sounds quite tight writing You know, you're getting your 20,000 words done, whatever it is, a a week, so you can crack this out in four weeks. When you're doing the editing side of it, Will, and you're there in your shack, do you find that you have overwritten quite a lot or are you you, you quite sparing with your words and you you only get the ones necessary down?
2: I mean, in a sense, it's pretty much there. The first draft, I put it away for four to six months and don't look at it. And then when I read it back, it's like reading a story almost for the first time. I've got quite a lot of distance from it then. And I, read, I wrote it in such a weird trance state that it's quite nice to sit down and read it all those months later. And that first draft compared to the final published book is not that different. Like The, sh- the chapter structure is all the same. If there's 50 chapters, maybe one will be slightly different. One will be gone. But generally, those 50 chapters are all in the same place. And the only changes that I make are really to get a little bit more in depth with some of my characters and to perfect language. So I work on, for example, the last book uh, that I wrote, I spent a lot of time working on the dialect of one of the characters. He, he, he talks in like an East Midlands dialect, which is my, where I'm from. And I wanted to get that right to the point where it was authentic, but it was also readable and not too dense. I didn't want to throw, out, throw the reader out of the story. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, the finished product is not that different, but it still takes me a lot of time and work to get it to the point where I'm ready to send it to my wife to read. She's my first reader, and then to my agent, and then to my editor.
1: When you're in your, your four weeks of heavy writing, um, how hard is it to get those, those words down, to get your scenes down uh, across the day? Because you've restricted it so much to this four weeks, are you, do they all come out in a, in a blur of energy? Or can it be quite a struggle?
2: It's a bit of both. Um, I think often it comes out like an exorcism. It just bursts out. And I'm not so much in control of that. It just happens. It's quite a strange thing, strange phenomenon. It just comes out. And I just go with it. And then sometimes, yeah, you'll get stuck. Um, so in that month or those three weeks, there'll be a day every two weeks where I, I, I stop, I don't write for a morning or I don't write for a day. And I, instead I drive to a local river and I walk up and down the river just thinking, like trying to just get some perspective and zoom out from the story a little so that I can fix a problem or see where a character relationship is going. So, yeah, definitely I have problems. I have uh, stumbling points. I have crisis- some uh, occasional crisis of confidence but at the same time because i'm moving so fast i don't let it slow me down for too long so it's always half a day or one day and then i'm back into it and i just find forcing yourself to sit down and get back into the story you just write your way out of problems at least i do i don't worry too much if i write half a scene or a scene which i later cut if that enables me to get back into the story
0: even on a budget stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
1: we'll be back with more from Will in just a sec quickly before we do I want to uh, point you to nudge you towards our Patreon page if you enjoy the podcasts if you think they're worth a a couple of dollars a month a few quid uh, well you can send that our way It's really easy. Support us at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine to help out the show. You get our thanks. uh, You get some merch. uh, You even get a way for your book to sponsor the show. It doesn't need to be a lot. As always, I'm a little bit timid talking about it. I am British after all. But if you do love what we do, if you want to see it carry on, if you want us to bring you chats with successful authors as frequently as you can so you can get tips so you can get writing and plotting and planning advice from the very best you can help that happen just a cup anything you can spare a couple of dollars uh, a few quid every month really helps us out get to patreon.com forward slash writer's routine right let's get back to it then with will dean talking about his new book the last thing to burn in this part we talk about how long it actually took him to write the thing uh, which is Pretty quick. Get ready to feel a little bit envious with this. Also, you can hear why he hates the idea of not doing justice to his characters. And we pick things up talking just about the, the process a little bit more. We've heard how Will like likes to sit and muse and brood and, and scratch his beard on an idea when he gets it. And then he, he takes four like, blank weeks just to sit down and burst through the story in a frantic craze of energy. That's what we know. But, I mean, if that wasn't an option, what if Will, like many of us, had to write around the normal nine to five? Does he reckon he could do it?
2: Yeah, I think I could do it now. I think maybe it would have been more difficult five years ago when I was finding my way. But now I could do it because... I would just carve out some time somehow you know whether that if I had a two-week vacation I would spend that time in a spare bedroom or in a library with earplugs in and I would get the words down and I'm not that interested I'm not that worried about when the books get published so if like the last thing to burn I wrote it to I had the idea 2016 wrote it 2017 it's published last week 2021 so I don't mind if I write something and it's not published for years because I don't have that much time to work on it and I have to Work on it on planes and on trains, that's fine. Um, it's more carving out that time out of my life to write a first draft. And most people can put aside a week, a year, or two weeks, a year. You, you'll be surprised how much work you can get done. You know, Stephen King wrote some of his novels in a week or two weeks. It's possible to do it. You just have to be quite ruthless that for that week or two and cut out everything else. Like I say, I do the things that I need to do in terms of, you know, washing up, but I'm thinking about the next scene, always.
1: What if you didn't have a, a concentrated chunk of time, Will? What, what, if, what if for some reason you, you, you couldn't you know, carve out three weeks to just blast through it and you had to try and work for a little bit every day? How would you manage with that?
2: I would carve out time every day. So I would probably carve out you know, an hour before work or an hour after work and or two hours I would sacrifice things as well. We didn't have TV for four years on purpose because I read in Stephen King's on writing that, you know, get rid of your TV. I think you can't do it half-heartedly. You have to just go for it if you want to do it. And my wife was not so happy about us not having a TV for four years, but she understood and she was, you know, doing other things. But I needed that time to double up my reading because reading is the key, I think, to writing. It's kind of a cliche, but it's so true. That's where you put in your apprenticeship time.
1: Well, expand on and, that. What are you, when you, when you're, what are you reading and what are you, what are you looking out for when you're reading? What are you taking in when you're doing that as well?
2: I read for pleasure. So I read across all genres. Don't, I don't read just my genre. I read books written, you know, 100 years ago. I read a lot of Muriel Spark and Patricia Highsmith. I try and read books written in different parts of the world by authors with experiences that are not mine. And I never know which books are going to be the ones that help my writing. I never know what they are. They always surprise me. So if I read 100 books in a year, they'll all help me to some extent. But there's normally one or two that really shake me up in some regard. They will teach me something or they will give me the confidence to try something different. And I never know which those two are. So I kind of need to read a lot to find those two random books. And often it's not a book that's on the current bestseller list. It's something that other people aren't reading right now. So I think reading is, is vital and you, you can't say, okay, I'm going to read a book every month and then I'm going to watch a, you know, a series on TV. You just have to, if you want to be a writer, I think you have to kind of put that stuff to one side for a while, at least until you're deep in your own process.
1: Now, the new novel is a standalone. It's the last thing to burn. Um, so, if you wrote this, what, four years ago now, tell us about the moment or what you remember of the moment from when the, the, the first idea came into your head. You mentioned that it, it, it just appeared to you one day. Talk to us about that light bulb moment.
2: Yeah. So, this doesn't happen to me often, having, a, having an idea in this way. But I, it was midnight, I was in bed, my wife was asleep. And I had this image in my head, which is normally the way I start with an idea for a story. I had an image of these flatlands, the Fens in the east of England, these featureless, vast landscape with huge skies. And I was looking at this landscape from above, an aerial view, and I saw a tiny little farm cottage right at the centre of a huge farm. And I saw there was a character there. There was a woman, and she was walking around the farm cottage and inside the farm cottage out, out again, but she was never going very far away. And I came to understand That morning, kind of between midnight and 6 a.m., that she couldn't leave. And sometimes you have an idea and you write a note and you go to sleep. Sometimes you have an idea and you just go to sleep. (laughs) And this time I had an idea and I went with it. So between midnight and 6 a.m., I just lay there and I thought through the entire story. So I I knew her circumstance, her backstory. I knew the main scenes in the book and the ending by 6 a.m. And I'd written a few notes down on my phone so I wouldn't forget. And then at 6am, I told my wife what the idea was. And this has never happened to me before. It's never happened since. It's just one of those things you have to kind of take it when it comes. And, uh, and that, five years later, <laughs> is now published.
1: Those six hours then, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to try and make you remember six hours in the middle of the night that happened five years ago. <laughs> but you getting all of these things about the story all these plot points all this information about your character how were you consciously doing that like what were you how were you mind mapping this in your brain what questions were you asking of that initial corner of an idea
2: i don't think i was really asking many questions i was lying down it's obviously a dark room i was lying down with my eyes closed for you know 20 minutes and just letting the story organically kind of happen in my in my mind's eye just seeing what was happening? And then I would have, oh, that, that, then this happens. And then I would write a note on my phone. i kind of turn away from my wife so I wouldn't wake her up. And i write it on my notes app, you know, very quickly, type out what happens next. And then I would lie down again, close my eyes. And it would kind of, it kind of just unfolded like that. The good thing is, this is a very simple story. There's only two main characters. It all takes place on one farm. So it's a very straightforward story told chronologically with one person's point of view. And my stories tend to be very simple. Um, And after those six hours, it was kind of there, you know, and I was get I was starting to get that buzz, that excitement that this is a story that I want to tell myself. It was quick. It was three weeks, but it wasn't straightforward. As in, it was straightforward in a sense. Like if you looked at me in that room, if you were to fly on the wall, you would see me just type chapter after chapter. And after three weeks, the book was there. But it was tough for me to write partly because Again, I find writing difficult and I find I find it terrifying because I wanna do justice to my characters. I, I I would hate the thought that I would not write sensitively about my characters, not do them justice, not write them well. And I hate the the idea that I could tell a story badly and not do justice to that story or the potential it might have. And I hate the idea that I might not do justice to my readers who are eventually gonna, you know, buy the book. So I'm scared and exhilarated. I really do have a high buzz, but part of that comes from terror.
1: Doing justice to your characters, when you're with, I mean, the main female character, who who you call Jane in the story, when you're with her, and the majority of the book is spending time with her, alone, in a farm, how are you getting into her mind? What are you doing to to know her enough so that she is authentic to a reader?
2: I think a lot of that work came before I started writing the first draft. So those six months of research and thinking about her and visualising her life, I'm kind of taking a moment out of my day to look at that world, look at those fens and those vast views through her eyes. So I get a sense then that, you know, this farmer is controlling her every move. He is... He's not allowing her to leave, and he's dictating what they eat and how they live every detail of their lives. And I'm looking at that world then through her eyes and seeing that he has sculpted the entire landscape that she can see. She can see for miles and miles and miles in every direction, and it's all his land. And and I just, in my mind's eye, I start to try to think through how that would feel, how that would be. And, you know, not every day. That doesn't happen every day. And it doesn't happen like clockwork. It's not something you can schedule. It's just when when you're in that mood where you can be very empathetic and you can use your imagination, tap into an imaginary world, then you just have to go with it. And I did that for six months along with all the research. Mm -hmm. And then when I was ready to write the first draft, it wasn't that hard to get into her head and to write from her point of view and to feel what she was feeling and to walk around that farm cottage with her you know I'm kind of seeing that farm cottage through her eyes walking from room to
1: room and when you are writing it what are you doing stylistically uh, with the like the words on the page or the the rather boring like length of sentences length of chapters all of that stuff what devices are you using to to keep readers swept along with the story none
2: (laughs) in terms of devices I mean I'm it's it's all from my gut so I've said this before in interviews. I'm not a very intellectual reader, uh, writer, I don't think. I don't think so much as I feel my way through. It's quite a visceral experience. And in terms of things like sentence structure, I think that comes from reading. Again, you know, it comes from reading and reading and rereading. And then finding a book that really inspires you, helps you, and then reading it over and over again. Some of my favorite books I've read 10 times. And then you get to have an understanding of what kind of sentence structure works and, and paragraph length and things like that. But for me, the m- biggest, most important factor is getting the voice of the main character right. If I, if I nail that voice and I feel that's natural and authentic to that character, then everything else comes from there. I feel like I have that energy if I understand that voice.
1: Does that influence what words you actually use but like how much do you think about the next word that you're writing?
2: I mean, that's the good thing about my weird process is I don't have time to think about the next word. It's more that I see the scene. I imagine the scene, what's happening, and it just, like, I write, I type so fast, full of t- uh, spelling mistakes, I, I can't think about the next word. It's m- I think all of that groundwork probably has to come from reading. I really do. That's that's where you get all of your tools to be able to write. And for me, a First Draft, it's... It's not a very conscious process, it just streams out. The, when it comes to like perfecting language and making a sentence more beautiful or making a piece of dialogue more impactful, that comes when you self-edit, which I do over and over again. You know, I, I like to tinker with my sentences afterwards.
1: So if you uh, worked on the first draft five years ago now, or whatever it was, um, why has it taken so long was it just a case of finding the time to edit, or was, was just some of it niggling away at you?
2: No, it was finding the time. I was writing my Tuber moodison book, so I've re- I wrote four Tuber moodison novels in those uh, in those years, and you know when Dark Pines came out, which was two thousand and eighteen, I think I traveled internationally like twenty times, so I was just really, really busy, and I had little chunks of time, so like you we were saying about how do you yeah. find time, it was literally you know a weekend where my wife and my boy went off to my in-laws for a weekend to do something I would just work 20 hours a day I would just get the work done or I'd work on planes and on trains but I would just kind of or I would take a take an afternoon when I was doing an event in a hotel and instead of going down to the bar I would work on on a on improving a scene so it was really a matter of not having enough time but now I think my first drafts are getting cleaner and cleaner to the point where You know, I don't think a book is going to take me four years uh, in future to get to publication.
1: That is it for this week's Writer's Routine with Will D. Thank you very much for Will for sitting down and chatting with me. You can get a copy of his brand new book, The Last Thing to Burn, right now uh, using the link in the episode notes and at writersroutine.com. Now, uh, page admin, Patreon stuff has been sent, by the way. Uh, I've had a few emails um nice emails but you know emails nonetheless uh because it's been tough on my end over the last few weeks of i don't know like uk lockdown 79 or wherever we're in it's been hard for me to get to the post office but i've been i've sent it out uh expect it soon all right i apologize for the slight delay uh if you would like to be on that list though for me to send <laughs> it's not glowing Reverend isn't it? it's taking me ages anyway, if you'd like to be on that list for people that i'm sending things to Uh, just support us over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine next week we're chatting to susie donkin comedy writer and actor about her brand new uh, compilation of mythological retellings Uh, zeus is a dick which kind of gives you a flavour of what the book's about. It's a good laugh with Susie next week. Make sure you are subscribed uh, so it automatically downloads. You can follow us on Twitter as well. We are at WritersPod there. And get in touch with the show over at writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with Susie Donkin. Until then, have a good one. Bye. (laughs)